Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Accord Research Alliance podcast. My name is Nathan Maloney. I work at Living Water International as a Senior Director for Program Development, and I help host the podcast. And today I'm talking with Jeff Bloom. Uh, Jeff is a PhD student in Applied Economics at the University of Minnesota, and he has a couple peer-reviewed papers in the area of faith and economic development, broadly speaking, and uh, so we talk about those papers. He also has a blog, and that's how I first uh, came to know Jeff. I found his uh, blog to be very interesting and relevant to the work that I'm doing, and so um, if you're uh, interested in faith and development and and policy, um, as I'm sure many of us are, I think you'll find his blog interesting as well. And uh, yeah, we have a great conversation. Uh, We talk about these papers. We also talk about the concept of hope, which is an area that's kind of emerging uh, from the research, uh, especially within development economics, and is certainly something that faith-based organizations can be at the center of, um, because that's an area uh, we've been uh, thinking about and working toward uh, for a long time, as, as we've certainly understood that there are internal constraints to development as well. And uh, so get his perspective on that. And then through his experiences uh, conducting research with faith-based organizations, I was also interested to hear his perspective on what are the challenges that he sees for organizations like our own who are trying to increase our rigorous evaluations and really trying to increase the amount of empirical evidence we have uh, toward impact. Now, before we jump in, let me encourage you to sign up for the annual One Accord Forum. That's happening this year, October 29 through 31 in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And I especially want to encourage you to register for the pre-event workshop uh, hosted by the Research Alliance. And that's a great day where many of us uh, get to come together um, and hear more about different evaluations or research, different organizations or academics are conducting And I found it to be um, very helpful for the work that I do. And I think you will as well. And so go ahead and sign up. That's again, October 29th. And that happens before the forum starts. And it's a day long event. And so you can sign up for that at accordnetwork.org. How do you know what you're measuring when you're measuring hope is actually hope? It's a really complicated concept. It's multidimensional. What does one unit of hope mean? Like it's all, the, all these really challenging things like we were talking about before with. Well, thanks for joining me today, Jeff. Uh, if you can tell me a little bit more about yourself and what made you interested in economics and international development. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a PhD student in the Department of Applied Economics at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I graduated in 2013 from Calvin College, where I studied economics and international development. Um, I think part of the main motivation for me in in studying international development is uh, some early experiences I had traveling um, in different parts of the world and um, and meeting friends and people who just happened to be born in different different country than myself and um, really asking questions that are that are kind of central to the, to the study of international development, like what drives sort of these disparities in livelihoods, um, and what can we, and what, what can be done about it. 
Um, and sort of that, those experiences uh, combined with uh, my own sort of faith-based upbringing um, and understanding of what our role is in the world and that kind of uh, presented a motivation to study uh, international development. And then, and then my interest in e economics sort of uh, comes out of an interest, in my, this initial interest in international development um, and, and, and applying the tools of, of economics, uh, both like theoretical, but also uh, primarily at, at this point, uh, the empirical tools of economics to, to understand and answer uh interesting and important questions relating to uh, international development and, and poverty reduction around the world. Awesome. So now you have a blog, and we'll put a, a link to that in the show notes, but the tagline of this blog is International Development, Economics, Policy, and Theology. Um, so some easy, easy topics there uh, to tackle, but uh, you know what? Uh, kind of from your blog or just your own research, who are some people right now that you think are doing interesting thinking and research, perhaps at the intersection of these areas? Yeah, I think this is a great question, and it's as the tagline um, puts it, that my blog is uh, a place where I can sort of, uh, or I myself can can comment. On, on the intersection of this. And I think the motivation, although uh, when I started the blog, it was more um, you know, me communicating to friends and family, but it has grown into sort of a place where I can bring uh, insights from uh, these two uh, areas. So like the, the faith-based side of things and then the economic side of things, uh, because these two sort of spheres of the world often don't talk to each other. And I think that there's a lot of uh, good that can be done by, by talking to each other. Um, so when it comes to people who are doing actual uh, research or work in this area, I think uh, Bryant Myers is definitely uh, has to be on the list. Um, his book, Walking with the Poor, is kind of a classic in this area, um, and he's he continues to write now uh, more and more. Uh, additionally, uh, Bruce Weidick from the University of uh, San Francisco is someone who uh, is currently doing uh, really interesting work and has done really interesting work um, more on the empirical side of things, on impact evaluation of, of programs that I would call uh, transformational development uh, programs. Um, uh, one example of, of, of his is uh, a couple of years ago, um, his evaluation of Compassion International's uh, child sponsorship program, and he's done other things as well. Um, but sort of more generally, I think there are a lot of development economists that um, are motivated by um, their faith that, and they don't actually sort of explicitly write about this faith in their research. Um, but you can maybe get at it if you read between the lines, um, or if you talk to them specifically. There's uh, you can they're willing to open up about sort of their faith-based motivations, um, and uh, so my blog is a place where I can you know comment on on. Uh, development economics research, rigorous uh, economics research uh, from the lens of someone in, uh, who can kind of speak the language of uh, the faith-based community as well. Um, so there are a couple of exam examples of like more recent um, say economics research that's, that's in this area that isn't explicitly sort of faith-based. Um, so uh, one example is uh, 
that probably listeners have already been aware of is this, this uh, randomized control trial with International Care Ministries in the Philippines. That was carried out by um, a group of development economists that you know aren't at least publicly like writing about faith, but this program is a faith-based program, and they're sort of doing a rigorous evaluation on um, on the impacts of the specific components of this program. There's other work that looks at, like in the United States, of uh, how does a school voucher policy for paying for education sort of affect uh, church giving and ties, and, and that they kind of comment on that as sort of a measure of, uh, or sort of an approximate measure of spirituality or spiritual practice. So there's there's kind of a lot of interesting work that's being done in it, but I, done in this area, and I think there's a lot more that could be done. Um, I think. Uh, from the faith-based side, there's a lot of uh, sort of evaluation work that would be helpful in understanding um, certain programs and, and policies that the faith-based community advocates for. Uh, on the other side, there's, um, I think, economists and development economists in particular could think a lot, a lot more about how um, faith and spirituality influences how people um, who they study uh, make decisions and behave. So. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, room to, for growth on both sides. Yeah, and I definitely agree with your assessment there. I think there's a lot more uh, that, that certainly can be and, and, and should be explored um, at the intersection of those two areas. And let me make a quick note. Um, so on your blog, uh, actually, I think you had a really nice analysis of, of that RCT from the Philippines um, that you mentioned um, with international care ministries. And there's actually the, the working paper for that is, is now out. Um, so some of us listening might've been at the, uh, the meeting we had last year where Lincoln Lau uh, kind of gave an initial presentation of, of that RCT and, and how that was going. So some of the results are out. Uh, if you haven't seen that yet, um, I encourage you to check it out and look at Jeff's blog as well uh, for his write up on it. Um, I thought it was uh, insightful. So I guess another question to kind of, you know, speaking of the Alliance here a little bit, this Accord Research Alliance, one of our values is measuring what matters. It's kind of a statement. And so um, I guess based on your own kind of research and interest for inquiry, how do you think about that statement? Um, You know, what do you think should matter, I guess, would be a first place to start. So what should matter for Christian relief and development agencies? And maybe to even take that further, do you think um, kind of since you're approaching it a bit from an economics perspective, um, can we measure all that matters? Uh, would be another question. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll try to take uh, take the first part first and then the second part uh, later. So I think when we talk about like what what matters and what should we uh, be measuring, um, I, I think it's helpful to sort of uh, come at, come at uh, this by understanding the theory of what we're trying to accomplish. And I, I think a, a good place to start, and we've mentioned uh, – his uh, book already, but Brian Myers' uh, book, Walking with the Poor, like lays out this uh, sort of really nice theory about what sort of transformational development is and what we mean, uh, or what a faith-based organizations mean when they talk about um, their own development work. So that's so that's material uh, progress, sort of the thing that uh, pretty much every development economist and development practitioner is working towards, but, but also 
of sort of uh, social um, progress and also spiritual progress. So if we're trying to measure what matters, I think we have to be trying to hit sort of those three um, sort of broad areas. Um, specifically within within those areas, I, I think that has to relate to what your project is, what your policy is, what you're trying to understand um, about the world. And, and um, uh, so there's like a lot of different ways that you can go with this. And, and this kind of gets at this can we even do it? So there's a lot of um, variables that, that matter in, in real life that are really difficult to actually quantify like with numbers. Uh, so examples of these things are, for, we're talking about uh, spiritual changes, you know, these variables that we would use to sort of approximate spiritual changes uh, don't necessarily have a obvious quantitative measure. Um, so oftentimes what we do um, is ask, ask people uh, how much they agree or disagree to a particular sort of statement um, that might relate to a, to a particular program. And, and, and uh, it's sort of hard to conceptualize like what is sort of the average between agree and disagree. There's, you have to really uh, place numbers on those, on those, you need, the average is like a numerical uh, idea, and uh, in order to sort of run rigorous statistical analysis, we have to make some assumptions about what we mean when we're um, encoding these variables. Um, that provides sort of challenges when we do uh, this sort of work. Um, but that being said, none of these challenges are all that prohibitive. There are lots of ways to sort of get around these challenges. We should be aware of, of the limitations of um, uh data that come from measuring concepts that are multidimensional and um, difficult to measure, but that doesn't mean that we should not try to measure these things. Um, if that, if that's a sort of convoluted. Yeah. Uh, so I guess ultimately, so ultimately it sounds like you're optimistic toward our ability to, to measure all that matters, even if it is, complicated and there's things we need to be right. aware of in terms of trying to quantify perhaps some of the spiritual or, or social aspects of transformational development but you would ultimately come down on the optimistic side of of us being able to do that right i think i think if we end up just measuring the things that are sort of easy to to observe uh, easy to work with uh, statistically then uh, we might get a sort of skewed picture of of what um, we're doing it might provide a skewed um, suggestion for what um, our policies and programs should look like in the future. Um, for example, if we only looked at sort of GDP as a as an outcome that we cared about, uh, our programs would look quite different than if we uh, looked at other outcomes that we care about, such as sort of the way people relate to one another, the way uh, people um, spend time with one another, etc. Yeah, and, and maybe we can dive into that more specifically um, here in a second because I would be curious in fleshing out a few um, maybe metrics or uh, ways you're kind of thinking about um, measuring that. But but first, let's talk about – I know you've had a couple peer-reviewed papers come out in the, in the past year, and one that I was really interested in and had a chance to read was the one about uh, Western Kenya, um, the research you did there. Um, so can you explain what – that research project was what you found some of the methodology uh, that you used yeah 
Yeah. Uh, so the project in, in Western Kenya was working with um, an organization that wanted to uh, implement business training classes um, within local churches. So uh, business training classes are uh, kind of a wildly popular um, development program in a lot of places in the world, um, sort of motivated by the observation that um, a lot of people uh, operate in small businesses and perhaps these small businesses aren't, let's say, uh, well run in a way that you know people would expect a, a, a well run business to operate. Um, but this organization kind of came at this from from a faith based perspective and said, you know, we don't just care about sort of increasing the profits of these businesses. We also care about sort of how the business owner um, views their their work, uh, views their spiritual well being as well. So they thought, you know, instead of running this sort of faith based curriculum through um, an organization or a microfinance uh, institution or an NGO, that maybe the people who are participating don't interact with on a, on a regular basis, that they would uh, implement this program through local churches. And the idea would be uh, that the church would act as sort of a, a commitment mechanism, um, that people who went through the training together would be able to see them see each other on uh, sort of a weekly basis or even more than a weekly basis and, and encourage each other and remind each other of, of different practices. So it was an interesting idea and um and surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, when this organization sort of presented this idea to some of their their colleagues and and and, um, and other people who work in this in this area, they kind of got a little bit of pushback about, well, do you think churches can actually implement this uh, in a in a way that would be beneficial? So that's sort of where I was able to help out because there's sort of an open question about whether this was a good idea or not. Um, so we. Uh, we went in there and tried to went to Western Kenya. We tried to uh, implement our evaluation, and we first found out, like kind of initially, that it would be really difficult and perhaps impossible to randomly assign um, the program due to sort of institutional challenges with the implementing organization. So we we ended up implementing what is called a difference and difference strategy. So uh, collected data on people who were participating in the program and then people who weren't participating in the program before and after uh, the program was implemented. And what this does is it allows us to sort of, sort of difference away or, or to sweep, sweep out any sort of confounding factors that might be occurring to both people over time, um, like a drought or some other macroeconomic factors that, that could sort of bias or um, um, confound the estimate that we're getting on the impact of the program. And uh, so it's a sort of a really sort of rigorous uh, design. Um, unfortunately, we ran into uh, challenges when implementing this design. Um, and uh, we can talk about this later of, of sort of challenges of faith-based organizations uh, implementing rigorous evaluation, but due to sort of sample size limitations, uh, like a our sample was really small and, and sort of spread out over sort of a diverse, um, co several diverse con contexts within Western Kenya. Uh, uh, we ran into statistical power problems where we weren't really able to confidently say that the uh, average changes that we were measuring were like actually due to the program, but what we were measuring were quite 
large um, changes in um, in certain variables. So one of the one of the changes we saw was uh, average household income increased by 27% among those who were participating compared to those who weren't participating. Um, but due to the relatively small sample size, the standard error around that um, uh, estimate uh, was relatively large. So in statistical nomenclature, we sort of uh, uh, failed to reject the null hypothesis. Uh, and um, so while there was and kind of the takeaway is that there's suggestive evidence that this program could be um, increasing people's income, um, but we're not sort of we're not able to say for sure. We also tried uh, measuring spiritual outcomes. Um, so an important part of the program was training this uh, teaching this idea that uh, anybody's working business, whether it be sort of um, as an accountant or say a farmer or like a a car mechanic could be um, worthy of, of worship unto God. So um, we asked participants whether they thought that uh, their work uh, in, their, in their daily lives was you know, sort of as equally as spiritual or less spiritual or more spiritual than sort of the work that their pastor does with their church. And what we found is uh, that participants of the program were more likely to say that, yeah, like my, my work is is like just as spiritual or like my work is spiritual, just like my pastor's work is spiritual. Um, and that's sort of a indicator. It's not of course, like the full picture of, of a person's spirituality, but it's a indicator that this program was changing the way people sort of viewed their work and, and perhaps viewed their work in a more spiritual um, manner. Nice. Yeah. And I, I think anybody who's trying to think about how to measure you know, spiritual change or spiritual transformation. Um, I would encourage you to check this paper out. Uh, it's, it, you know, as Jeff, as you're saying there, it's it's looking at perhaps one aspect, right, of, of spiritual change, um, but an aspect that makes sense um, within the context of, you know, this intervention specifically. So I think there's uh, good things to learn from that. Another area that I'm really interested in uh, that you're working on and, and kind of related in, in some ways in terms of just underneath the umbrella perhaps of thinking about spiritual, maybe social, I don't know how you exactly you want to classify this, but uh, it's the idea of hope. And so, yeah, I know you mentioned Bruce Weidick earlier. Um, I know he's one development economist working on this concept right now and how it relates to, to development. Um, but you have a paper on this uh, as well uh, with a few others. And so, Maybe tell me a little bit more just what this idea around hope or aspiration is uh, as it relates to to development and uh, what's kind of been the research so far in this area, like what's kind of emerging right now around this research. Yeah. Uh, so thanks. I, I think it's an interesting area as well. And, and I should say that uh, like my contribution is relatively small. There's like a lot of people who are working doing really interesting uh, work on this that um, aren't uh, me. Uh, but I, I think it's an, it's an area that uh, is in, in gaining increasing attention, um, not only among uh, those who are faith-based and in, in think about development economics, but, but also sort of mainstream development economics. Uh, there's, there's this idea that um, for a long time we've been looking at um, external constraints to development. So, um, 
maybe an area is, you know, develops slowly or, or experiences high levels of poverty because of the school are bad or the health facilities are bad or the you know, political systems are, are bad. These are sort of all uh, constraints that are external to, to human beings. Um, but when we all are, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but for my, when I think about my own sort of life and the, and the outcomes that I've uh, achieved or haven't achieved, uh, the constraints to those things aren't necessarily all sort of external to myself. There are... Um, there are factors, uh, sort of more psychological factors that are, are internal, sort of my motivation, my uh, uh, whether or not an objective was um, along the lines of a goal that I that I had that I want to achieve, um, and whether or not I can I think that like I can actually achieve that goal. Like oh, these are all factors that, that sort of influence how um, people in general make uh, decisions and ultimately like how they behave. And this is sort of uh, not a new idea. Um, psychologists uh, sort of write about this for, for, or have been writing about this for, for decades. Uh, uh, but it's it's an increasingly popular idea uh, among economists and particularly among development economists because there's this uh, perception that living in a situation where uh, uh, maybe everyone around you uh, is poor or uh, and everyone around you has been poor for a really long time, uh, there might be sort of barriers that are prohibitive that are internal sort of um, low aspirations or perhaps low hope or low self-efficacy uh, on the other hand there could be um, people who live in those environments who have high levels of uh, you know they're not constrained at all internally and perhaps this is sort of a way that we can explain sort of why programs why some programs work for some people and why they don't work for for other people so um uh, one example of this could be, and I think the research is uh, still out on this, or the, uh, the evidence is still out uh, on this, but um, perhaps um, microfinance and, and, and the people who sort of benefit the most from microfinance are the people who don't aren't really constrained internally, and the people who, um, even though they've received um, access to credit uh, or access to insurance or savings uh, products, um, still sort of don't improve, uh, their lives don't improve um, very much. Perhaps it's because there's additional internal constraints that that aren't being sort of lifted. Uh, so that's a long introduction to my small contribution. Uh, when I was working on my master's degree, uh, I was working uh, on a project in Myanmar, uh, and I dreamed up this like really complicated experiment where I wanted to see how changes in people's hopes and aspirations change their behavior and I was presenting it to um, my colleagues and advisors and everyone just kept asking like well how do you know you can how do you know what you're measuring when you're measuring hope is actually hope like it's a really complicated concept it's multi-dimensional what does one unit of hope mean like it's all, the, all these really challenging things like we were talking about before with um, kind of spiritual outcomes and measuring what matters uh, so what the for what the project sort of turned into was sort of a elaborate validation exercise where we we went to rural Myanmar and we took uh, established survey instruments that psychologists have been using in U.S. and European clinical settings for for kind of decades, and we uh, worked really hard to um, contextualize these survey instruments because uh, obviously they're 
they're in English, but also they use English idioms. And for example, one of the questions or one of the statements that people have to sort of agree or disagree with is, if you find yourself in a jam, uh, do you think you can find many ways to get out of it? And and obviously, like when you translate that, you know, you have to be very careful about like, in a jam is sort of this idiom that means something in English, but, you know, perhaps doesn't in Burmese. And so we, we came across a lot of um, challenges with uh, translating, but eventually, after enough pre-testing, going out to the field, asking people these questions, having them respond to us, talking to them about did they understand what they were what they were answering, uh, we finalized our survey and then we we performed some validation exercises. And what we found out is that like the data seems to sort of make sense, um, and um, sort of people behave in a way that um, or people answer questions relating to hope um, in a way that. Um, uh, sort of psychological theory would suggest. Um, so what the main takeaway for that is, is like, you know, it's possible to measure this stuff, um, albeit in an approximate manner, if enough effort is, to, is like taken to uh, contextualize questions to a certain in specific setting. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my contribution. And, the, and that's the Current state of the literature on, on hope and inspirations, it's still in its uh, relative infancy, and I, I that um, more people will be looking into it in the future. It's a, it's a, a really interesting idea, but it's a really hard thing to study as well. So, yeah, no, I think um, uh, I think it's something that more of us should be looking at and by us meaning those of us at um, organizations working in this area and um, I guess a couple follow-up questions to that yeah. one is um, what's the literature saying or what are your thoughts around I mean is hope something that we as, as faith-based organizations believe we can change like can we increase hope or is it simply kind of more of an explanatory factor of, of what might already be there in a community or within a person that you know would impact the other work we're doing or is that something we should be directly trying to I guess target and, and increase um, through our programmatic work right that's a great question I think um, the answer is probably contested um, in in psychology I think my take on it is that it's definitely something that can be changed um, sort of how malleable it is, is is probably up for debate, but um, to the extent that people sort of derive the way that they think about the future um, based on how their current environment is set up, uh, then if you, then if we as organizations can change sort of aspects of of their of their environment, um, then perhaps you can change the way people think about the future, and that might have sort of that may re relieve one of these internal constraints that, that we're facing. So, um, for example, going back to the microfinance idea, instead of, you know, if this is really something that's, that is constraining people, maybe it's not enough just to offer people a line of credit. Um, maybe we should also be sort of offering um, psychological therapy sessions as well, like talking to people about, um, you know, where they came from and what, what, they, what they perceive as the barriers to, to their own personal success and um, uh, sort of gets closer into this, uh, to topics relating to mental health and not necessarily like, you know, 
mental health diseases, but just like general mental well-being and how that influences the way people will behave. And I think, you know, certainly like we can influence the way people in the short run, we can influence the way people's mental well-being is. And if that has any sort of impact on the way people make decisions or behave, then it can really make a difference. Um, And that should be something that we consider when we design and implement programs. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, I think that's, I think it's a good take. Now you've had the chance obviously to interact with a few different faith-based organizations for your research. What challenges have you seen in these organizations journey perhaps toward having more empirical evidence um, or more, you know, rigorous evaluation around the effectiveness of the programs. I know you mentioned kind of briefly one of the challenges you you, you experienced in Kenya, um, but just in in general, kind of what challenges are you seeing uh, for organizations and and perhaps how can uh, we be thinking about trying to overcome those those challenges? Yeah, yeah. So one of them is definitely uh, challenges relating to implementation. So um, I think a lot of uh, faith-based uh, organizations are are maybe on the smaller side compared to to other organizations. Certainly, there are other like there are non-faith-based organizations that are also very small. But um, when when you're implementing a program that has you know not a huge sort of reach and it has maybe funding constraints um, that has implications for um, the ability of statistical tests to actually teach us anything useful, um, um, everyone kind of. The example is sort of this, you know, if you flip a coin twice, then maybe it becomes heads uh, uh, twice. You know, the answer is not that the coin always lands on heads. The more flips you have, the more confidence you have on the answer about sort of central tendencies within a population. And that was one of the problems that we had in in Kenya is that we, our program was spread out uh, in three different locations and, uh, and we had about 50 people in each location and, uh, that made it really difficult to um, overcome challenges relating to sample size. Um, but there are other, you know, not just sample size, there are other um, challenges with implementation. Uh, for example, um, gathering information on, on non-participants of your program. Uh, there's a lot of uh, pushback on organizations that perhaps are um, fairly uh, constrained financially of, you know, why do we spend money and time going out and talking to people who aren't even, participating in our program and sort of from an evaluation perspective that that information is really valuable. It gives you something to compare to. Uh, but, uh, sometimes an organization is like, it doesn't under, or you can't quite get a handle on um, the value of talking to people who, you know, they're not even serving, uh, per se. Uh, and another, another challenge is, is more sort of attitudinal. I would say like, so one of the strengths of faith-based work and those who work in faith-based development organizations is sort of this belief that what we're doing is um, uh, fulfilling a call that we received from God. And that sort of understanding is really sustaining. Uh, it's really motivating for our work. And it's a, it's a really great thing. But it also sort of butts heads or uh, runs in the other direction um, from an attitude that's more skeptical about what you're doing and, and uh, more sort of experimental and, and, and wanting to just try out a lot of different things and see what works best. And uh, so those attitudes are, are sort of both good, but they, they sort of uh, are hard to mesh sometimes. Um, so those are 
those are two big challenges uh, that I've experienced. Okay. And then um, what's a book that maybe you've read in the past year or so that you would say has affected or influenced the way you think about development and theology? Yeah. Uh, so I have three books come to mind. Uh, the first is more along the lines of development and theology. The other two are sort of relate to other things we've talked about today, I think. Uh, so the first is uh, Kent Anand's uh, book called Slow Kingdom Coming. Uh, it's a short book about um, Kent's work in Haiti, and he presents or sort of walks through five spiritual practices that are helpful for um or sort of a helpful posture to take when when um, engaging in this work, and and I really appreciated the insights that he um, that he wrote about in that book, and it's really short. I'd recommend it to a lot of people because it's it's an easy it's easy to get through, and it's I thought it was an insightful read. Um, the second is a, a book that's edited by Tim Ogden. He he was at uh, NYU's Financial Access Initiative. Uh, the book's called Experimental Conversations, and he kind of the book is just a transcript of his discussions with different people uh, in the de- development sphere, and it's broadly about the um, topic of randomized control trials (RCTs). So he talks with the likes of Esther Duflo and Michael Kramer and Angus Deaton, uh, so sort of the big name. Uh, players in this, this area, but also um, sort of lesser known people like people from the Grameen Bank and the Center for Global Development and, and, and organizations like GiveWell and provides a nice sort of well-rounded, oh, pretty well-rounded <laughs> uh, discussion about the use of RCTs as sort of a way to uh, learn from development. Um, and then a third book uh is, is called Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> and Sense is called C-E-N-T-S, like, like the currency, uh, with, with a subtitle, What Economists Can Learn from the Humanities. Uh, so while this book isn't about spirit, like theology per se, I think we can take a lot of the uh, insights that this book talks about, about the relationship between economics and the humanities, uh, and we can learn about and understand how perhaps we should set up a conversation between economics and uh, theology. So what the authors are suggesting in this book is um, that we should have more meaningful interaction between disciplines, that we shouldn't sort of overtake, that certain disciplines, i.e. economics, shouldn't just overtake other disciplines, uh, that like what may have happened in the past, that we should sort of respect you know, each discipline's sort of epistemological standards and learn from what the other discipline has to say. Uh, so this book has a lot to say about the limits of, of sort of an economic approach to making decisions um, about policy, uh, about um, about different decisions that uh, we all make in the world that we should maybe understand. A, we should understand the, you know, the, the strength of an economic perspective, but then we should also understand the limits of an economic perspective. And I think uh, while they're talking about like the humanities in general, uh, mainly like uh, classic literature, I think a lot of what they say can be applied to uh, theology as well. Those are awesome recommendations. I have read Kent's book, The Slow Kingdom Coming, actually just a couple months ago, and, and would also uh, endorse that. I think it's a really good summary of, of some of these 
concepts, even some of the concepts in, in Bryant Myers' book, um, and, and contextualizing some of those, uh, I think, in a really helpful way. So definitely recommend that. And those other two are now added to my uh, book list here to read. So those sound uh, really fascinating. And I'll put those in the show notes uh, for everyone else to uh, get a link to those uh, if you're interested. And uh, lastly, where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Jeff Bloom. Bloom is spelled B-L-O-E-M. And then I'm, I also have a website where I blog a little bit too. Uh, that's jeffbloom.wordpress.com. So. Great. Cool. Well, those will be in the show notes as well. So thanks for your time, Jeff. Um, and really appreciate your insight and perspective and, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Have a good day.